Hi, I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 76 of Shades of Brown. Uh, and this week we have some follow-up that literally happened uh, as we released the last episode. Uh, so we were talking about uh, Steam, right? Uh, the rather Valve uh, increasing the developer cut, uh, developer revenue share. Uh, and the uh, week, the that week, uh, I guess on Tuesday, I think or uh, Wednesday, uh, mm-hmm. Epic announced uh, their own game store, right? Uh, and it is now live. Uh, so, so it's it's, it's a thing. Uh, Epic has a new store, uh, and there's and they have timed exclusives. Uh, by the way, uh, there is a game there that was supposed to be on Steam, but is no longer on Steam. Uh, called Ooh, uh, called uh, called Ashen, I think. Uh, it was I think it was supposed to be a Play Anywhere title. I don't think it was supposed to be on Steam. It was supposed to be on the Windows 10 Store. Uh, mm. But I think they did something, and they they are now on the Epic Game Store uh, and no longer available via Game Pass. I think uh, I don't know. The, I don't know if that's like the case, but it is not available in the Windows 10 Store. So it's not available on PC outside of the Epic Game Store. Uh, so I, it's a thing. Like I, I, like they updated the launcher, the uh, the a- Epic Games launcher, and it has uh, it has the library stuff uh you can you have a they have a couple games they have a few games actually they have uh subnautica they have super meat boy uh they have dark siders 3 coming soon apparently uh and uh, they have uh, ash and the one the game i mentioned uh so yeah uh, so it, it's a thing uh, it's happening uh oh wait is this a, i'm looking at the page right now that journey listing is that a PC port of the PS3 game journey? That is a good journey? question. Yes, I just Let saw me, that. And I'm like, I'm, I, I'm, ooh, it's coming that's soon. That's a good exclusive to get. That is a very good exclusive because Journey is. I mean, Journey is really old at this point, and anybody who wanted to play it probably has played it at this point. But uh, yeah, it is. A, it used to be a PS4 exclusive. Game. Well, uh, wait, Journey was, I thought Journey was a PS3 game that came out on the PS4. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Sorry, Team Ico games are confusing and someone's about to get mad at me. Okay, so Shadow of the Colossus came out on like PS2, then ported the PS3, the PS4. Uh, the Journey was PS3 to PS4, and I think Shadow, Ico something, that one was a PS4 game that came out. Yeah, right? I, uh, the, I don't even remember the, the game, the game with the big dog. Uh, thing. Yeah, 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 the big, the big floopy boy, and you, and you battle giant monsters. Yeah, uh, that was a PS4 exclusive, I think. And Journey, I played it on the PS4. I think it was one of the first games I played on the PS4. It's it's a very nice game. Uh, unique concept is, uh, and obviously, it's very beautiful. And uh, I mean, it'd be great to have that on PC, but I don't know how I feel about it being on the. Uh, on the Epic Games Store, and if that's like an exclusive thing or is a timed exclusive or what? Uh, so I have a question then. So having multiple game stores is, you know, arguably great. But how do you feel about the fact that you might now have to have the Epic Games Store, Steam, and if Discord does their their store right, also the Discord store? Like, the, do you think it's going to be annoying to have to go to multiple stores for specific games? I already do that. Like, I already have to do that. Like, I have to have. At least Steam and Battle.net open because Battle.net has uh, Overwatch and Call of Duty Black Ops 4. And obviously Steam has the rest of my games and Epic. Then I also have the Epic Games launcher for Fortnite. Uh, so I'm three launchers now. Uh, and if I played any EA games, which I don't, but I, if I did, uh, I would have Origin as well. Uh, I mean, I also have Uplayer running, but I don't launch the Ubisoft games through Uplay, I just have them, I buy them on Steam, so it's, it's, it still needs Uplay to run. So, yeah, so four launches, technically, uh, at this point, and uh, yeah, uh, so many launchers. It's just launches. I mean, though, is it is it a bad thing, though, if it ends up making, like, better prices and better deals for, like, games? Not even, like, consumer-wise, right, but even, like, de- developers being able to get more money out of it? Like, do you think... I, I like, I, from a consumer perspective, it just makes it more annoying. Like honestly, it just makes it tedious to buy games, right? You have to like, like that's the thing. Like, uh, like 
when you want to buy a game, like, like you have to deal with like giving your payment information and like setting that up and like having another account and making sure that, yeah, uh, like you have to buy games separately. You have to keep another login. So it's, it's tedious, but if it's, uh, I don't know if it is significantly improving the market, uh, like all the all these big AAA publishers having their own launchers, I I don't know if that is like significantly uh, affecting anything. Uh, but well, I mean, it's probably annoying from a chat perspective because all these launchers likely have their own chat system. Well, at least I know uh, Battle.net does, Steam, Discord. Does the Epic Games launcher is there a chat app built into there too? I I don't think there is one yet. And uh, there is a friends <laughs> <Yes>. list. There's <laughs> a friends list. So you can chat with people, yes. Oh god, Fortnite chat with Fortnite dance emojis. Oh my oh, god. That and you know they're gonna do it too. <sighs> but yeah, so there's this so we just have another yet another launcher. So PC people have been sort of used to this ever since uh like you know, Ubisoft decided it was a cool thing that they could do. Uh and then obviously Battlenet is a thing. Uh and Overwatch is hugely popular, so uh, Battle.net is huge as well. So, it's, uh, I, I don't yet know another, how to, uh, Yet another web app, right? Oh my god, yeah. It's, <laughs> that's, I, I, all of these be, are web apps. All well, of these are web to apps. To be fair to all of these, uh, the Epic Games Launcher is very fast and it runs pretty well, right? Like, it's not oh like yeah, it's, no, no, no. The Epic's Game Launcher on uh, Mac OS is the best part about playing Fortnite on Mac OS. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 all right. It, it relatively for a web app, it doesn't use that much RAM. It uses like sixty five megs. That's not that's not a lot for uh for a. No, I mean app. I imagine it's like Spotify, where it's probably some WebKit wrapper, right? Instead yeah, of being like probably. a full bloated. Chrome I mean, Origin instance. is actually bad because Origin is like a whole thing and it's slow as fuck. Uh, it's not it's not great. Uh, Origin is is probably the, I think the worst, even though it has been around a while now. Um, mm. So I don't buy EA games though. So. I'm good. Uh, anything else that you want to talk about this this big games store? How do you feel about the timed exclusives? Uh, um, I, I they're gonna they're gonna find that with music, uh, it's games is similar in that I don't think timed exclusives work on PC. Um, I don't think that like PS. We used to have folks, right? Spotify would trying or Apple Music, right? You used to get like would poach people to get um timed exclusives and. The general consensus was that it really wasn't helping the industry, and I feel like games are going to be the same way. Because at least with consoles, they can give a bigger... The the theory, right, with consoles is that if you have a a timed exclusive, it makes more people buy that console. But with PC, you just download the app, right? So I don't know what's the the point. I feel like developers are probably going to end up finding that they probably make more sales if they just launch it on every store, rather than than doing a, uh, a timed exclusive. I think long term, yes, uh, but short term, I think some developers probably because Epic Games are probably going to be offering incentives, right? Cash incentives uh, for timed exclusives. So short term gain wise, I think some developers are seeing the money, right? Uh, and you know, obviously, I'm not I'm not judging anybody for timed exclusives, but uh, yeah, long term, yeah, uh, I don't see like Epic Games is obviously incentivized to build their platform. Like they they want to have more more titles on their on their launch on their on their storefront so they can you know become a bigger player. So they they're making an ecosystem move, and they're trying to incentivize developers with a short term gain. Uh, so long term, I think developers. Are gonna be best served with putting their games everywhere, uh, as as many places as they possibly can, right? Uh, but there's there's a there's a there's, there's a cost to putting games on platforms, right? It's not like it's a free thing; like you have to deal with bureaucracy and you know requirements and you know setting up accounts and you know all sorts of uh, stuff. But and if it's the Windows Store, you have to deal with running your game in UWP wrapper. Even though I, I like UWP, uh, UWP is still not the best for for games. Yeah, so the, there's there's effort related to the, the, like involved in getting you know putting your game on various platforms. Uh, I like so. Uh, so that's that's the Epic Games Store follow up. Uh, next up, we have we have I guess the. Next up, we're going to talk shit about things. Uh, we are going to talk shit. Uh, we are talking shit about. Okay, let, let let me say this in my most tech nerd voice: uh, audio adapter HD. Uh, 
and and for those who don't know, this is this is the amazingly generic name for uh the for a dongle for the. So we need to we need to make this clear. This is the dongle to be all dongles. Like this is this is dongle. This is the king of dongle town. Like if you ask me if 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 you this is a dongles dongle. You know, like if I wanted a dongle with my dongle, I'd get this dongle. It's a dongle man's dongle. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, dongles person's strong dongle. All it's right. not uh, everyone. Everyone can dongle. You know, like you remember that. I don't know if you ever saw SpongeBob as a kid, but there's this one episode where it's like. He, she, they, wumbo, we, wumbo. It's the same thing with dongles. He dongle, she dongle, we dongle, they dongle. All Everyone right. dongles. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so this is this is this is uh, so the this is a dongle for the essential phone. Uh, this is uh, what is, this is a DAC essentially. This is uh, so a DAC. Let me expand the acronym here. Is as a digital to analog converter. So that's essentially how you, you know turned like a music file, a digital music file into you know analog form form audio so you can listen to it through your headphones uh so this is a very shiny uh titanium apparently uh dongle that goes into the those those little pins right at the back of an essential phone that they that they that they I remember we talked about this a long time ago when they're like pogo pins. It's sort of like the smart connector on an iPad Pro. So this thing has like a like a high res uh, ESS Saber deck, which is which is a, you know a very good, uh, very good deck chip uh, in this thing. Uh, so I mean, why why is this why does anybody does anybody care? And uh, they also have to make it even you know more hashtag synergy. Uh, they have a thing that they have a deal with, with title where if you, if you don't have a title account already, you can sign up. If you're a social phone user, you get three months of title hi-fi. Oh my God. You know, every time I think about title now, I think about that one time I went to go see Beyonce live and, um, Jay literally was paying like some street team to walk around before the show started and give people codes to title. And I was like, if any of the price of the ticket that I just paid went to title and not Beyonce, I'm going to be upset. Don't do this to me, Jay. No one gives a fuck about title. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a whole like the whole page is just like okay, yeah, you can you can use it with title and like you can select master in, in the quality settings in the title app and you get you know uh, lossless audio uh, for about can, like three minutes until you run through your data cap. Of course, I mean yeah, I wouldn't recommend putting that on your on your, uh, on your data plan because that's, it's going to kill your da- data cap. It's going to kill your battery to stream that much data. Uh, and it's uh it costs hundred and forty nine dollars uh i mm, 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 nobody mm-hmm. like like if you're the i don't know like if you're the person who's really into the essential phone and you also like you know really want to listen to lossless audio uh you would buy an LG phone that has the DAC quad deck, the quad yeah, deck, yeah, yeah. You get it. the quad deck. Oh, quad deck sounds like the name of like a really horny like duck superhero. <laughs> like that's all I imagine. I just oh imagine like a like a sexy but duck. If, if superhero. you buy an LG phone, you have to deal with the shitty flash and like their shitty. Uh, you have to deal with shitty LG phone. You know. Well, I mean, I, listen. You get the good quad deck, but the screens. Quad knack. I don't oh know what that joke was. God. I I don't know what that uh, joke yeah. was. Let's let's move on. Um, is there anything else we wanted we want to dongle about before we uh, move on to our next topic? Nah, nah. Th- that's all. This this is all that thing des- deserves. Uh, I don't know why it, would we have a dongle for a dead phone, but uh, we do. Uh, oh, also, so. also one one last thing. Fuck Andy Rubin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh. Yep. Yeah. Fuck. He can fuck himself. Uh. Next up, we have we have our two serious stories. I guess we have uh, our big. This was this happened a couple of weeks at this point ago. Uh, so we have the uh, NPM debacle. Uh, so what happened was there was so there was this package uh, the on an on on NPM. Uh, NPM is the Node package manager for people who don't know. Uh, node is uh, Node.js, which is Server side JavaScript. Uh, so you they had a package called uh, Flatmaps Stream, right? Flatmaps Stream. Uh, what happened was the the OG 
the OG developer uh, was not, or like he he hadn't used it in a long time and he wasn't maintaining it. So somebody emailed him uh, and asked, "Hey, I, I want to take over maintainership of this of this package," and uh, and he just gave it to him. And there's like, and this 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 person was uh, was obviously malicious and they inserted uh, a backdoor into the code an off- obfuscated backdoor which was which is which was intended to steal bit- bitcoin private keys so bitcoin wallets have private keys which you can if you steal them you essentially own the bitcoin uh the 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 wallet so so that's what that malware is supposed to do. Now, though, this whole thing happened and get like somebody found it on GitHub, right? Somebody was like, "Hey, well, this this doesn't look right. Uh, this looks very suspicious." And they like somebody uh, deobfuscated the obfuscated uh, malware, and they were like, oh, "Hey, can we get the people over at NPM to revert this, et cetera, et cetera?" And eventually, uh, it was reverted, right? Uh, and uh, NPM stepped in to you know get. Uh, Fix that. Get that fixed. But what what does this what does this say? Like what is like what does this say about the state of uh, like people who maintain packages that are small, but they are used by a lot of people and are popular. And essentially, the developer does does not have any intention of uh, managing it. So, like, what does it say about? Is a developer supposed to be maintaining something forever, or is it, or if they if they want to hand it over to someone else, they have to do a whole vetting process for that? Like how how do you, uh, how, what is the technical side? Like how do you prevent something like this? How do you say if you give if you change maintainership of a package, it's a whole new version, and it maybe changes signing keys? Like how do you deal with that? Uh, so, Christian, uh, I'm gonna let you give your thoughts on all this uh, so uh firstly um i believe that node and npm and a lot of modern web app development has a huge problem relying on too many frameworks and libraries for simple things Flatpak, this library is pretty simple it's not so it's not something that um that that requires in my own opinion you know linking to a library and you know making a dependency when it's just a couple lines of code right like this isn't this isn't a huge like there's some libraries like say for example there's a one um called shit what was it called and express there we go express yep so express makes it really easy to uh to find custom routes and and you know play with data in your app far easier than the the normal um uh, node.js sort of sort of stock calls would be for it which is fine i think that's actually a great use of a library this you're just it's more of like you're getting like a generic function that you pass data to the flat packet right and then you get it back like i i know it's a really simplified explanation but we don't really need to get into too much code over here um so i don't think that really needs to be a library and a sp- Especially when it comes to React, um, React uses something called Babel, and Babel basically just kind of like smushes a whole bunch of stuff together, right? That's how you get like if you ever view the source of Mastodon, you look at the JS, it is just like a mess of minified code. It's like a mix of Babel and some other tools in uh, Webpack. You using Webpack and Babel as dependencies on your project opens you up to a whole net of other dependencies that the, that they use that aren't under your control, right? The maintainers of Webpack and Babel are controlling those. So if one of those become nefarious and you happen to deploy your app, you know, using Webpack, well, tough shit. You know, you just, you just, um, all your, all your users got owned. Yep. You just got compromised because, because your whole supply chain, right? This is a supply chain compromise, right? Uh, and how do you prevent this? Like, how do you, like, on a, on a, let's talk about on a technical level. We can get to the social stuff later, but on a technical level, uh, how do you prevent this? Like, how do you say if the one people thing that people suggested was that if, if, if maintainership of a package changes, then the version number has to be incremented, right? And, uh, the signing key has to change. Uh, so you would have to retrust the package, right? I don't know if no, if NPM has a, a trust mechanism that you can detrust or like, Retrust a package because I don't use npm. 
uh, Christian, if you can tell me, uh, um, if- I don't believe. I believe if the key changes, you have to you would you would uh, basically unload the dependency and then reinstall it right with the new. So you basically like, you would um you would remove it from your list from your package list right, and then you would probably pull it back in. I think there's probably some advanced stuff you can do, but I think out of the box right now, npm's not really suited to handle key changes like that. Okay, so if if, if you can make it a sort of a pseudo technical social solution where you would have. Uh, a sort of maybe a group of people at, at, at NPM, right? NPM is a foundation, I think, right? Uh, like it's an organization. Uh, mm-hmm. You would have a group of people at NPM reviewing ownership changes. Uh, I don't know if that's if that is going to help. Like if, if you say, if you want to transfer your ownership over to somebody else, you would put in a transfer request and it would get put into some sort of queue and it would get reviewed uh, and say say the first few commits uh, would have to also be reviewed or approved by somebody, right? Say, say the original author has to approve the first few commits uh, or something, some sort of like increasing trust level system, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, so there's also that thing, but also that doesn't solve the problem if, say, a developer that has been fine for a long time uh, decides to go rogue, right? Decides to just, you know, or is compromised. Otherwise, like if their key was compromised or uh, if their machine was stolen and uh, it was used to publish some sort of uh, backdoor, uh, like how do you how do you protect against that? Uh, I I think that. This is a symptom of especially web development sort of go really fast all the time the methodology of building web apps because it should be I think if we had a slower pace and more apps were built against say like big like you know I, I know it is kind of like that but like not standard no uh, node has a standard library these are all extending the standard library and I don't think bloating up the standard library of more stuff is ultimately the best solution because that's always going to increase overhead and I don't I don't know if that's maybe for Flatpak I feel like Flatpak could maybe have been fit into the standard library and that wouldn't have been a problem but for other for other you know libraries and frameworks I think that Having a slower development process where bigger releases only happen so often and encouraging more developers to build towards those bigger releases that have been vetted, right? Like, I think there, there should be more of a security vet of, a say, a big a big release of a big framework. Because Flatpak was used by a lot of people, right? Yeah. Um, that's why, I mean, that's why it was targeted, right? It was like Flatmap was... Uh, or yeah, Flatmap, my bad. You, you have been saying Flatpak, but I haven't corrected you. But it doesn't matter. Uh, the Flatmap, Package was obviously used by a lot of people, which is why it was targeted by a malicious actor. Um, the malicious actor is going to go for the most popular packages because they know they're going to get you know the maximum gain out of any sort of malicious compromise. Uh, so, so that's that's that. And also, is packages that are really popular, I think, should at, at the NPM level should have some sort of like checks and balances because uh like if you if you pass a certain number of say a depend like packages using you as a dependency, you get put into a special category of uh packages that should be that should have ownership changes reviewed and like uh if if you have ownership change you probably wanna you probably enforce a signing key change right it's stuff like that like there are some technical work like fixes to this but uh at and heart, even then from a like a developer perspective right there's a comment on the ours post that we have linked you know in the show notes which is developers should really host you know their known good copies of third-party software instead of you know relying on on pulling from the official source all the time because well, the the person in that comment talks about saving bandwidth is also like it's just the security. You, it's a guaranteed because you can see that code and you can vet it yourself. You can have your team vet it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So you have your if you have a local like fixed copy that you host and you know is good. Uh, but that is like a thing that you you need some like a dedicated inf- infosec team or like an infrastructure team that would actually care about uh, you know. And I mean, these companies have money to do it because I don't like we're we're mainly we're talking about this in the terms of like large organizations, right? Like whatever, whatever, like a company like Discord, right? Whatever dependencies are using for their server side stuff, they can probably afford to maintain, um, you know, some folks to vet those and host them, uh, host a third party or third, you know, a separate repo of it that isn't always touching the mainline one just because for security purposes. I don't I don't think that. 
I don't think that that's too much of an ask. And I don't think that um, I think that the security benefits are far greater than any of the other costs. Because what if Discord, you know, happened to just start mining Bitcoin on you and everyone's like, well, it's an electron app, so it's using resources anyways, LOL, right? But it just, but uh, it could be mining, it could be doing something nefarious. And because of how, yeah, I mean, like, mining is, mining is actually fairly benign. It just killed, I mean, benign as in like it is the least, malicious thing a malware could do right uh like it could do a whole lot worse like it could uh hijack your web traffic right backdoor ssl certificates right you could put a root key and then mitm all your ssl traffic it could uh steal your banking information you could steal your keystrokes you could steal your passwords you can steal account information like you like any like a lot of the once you're in there you can do a lot of things right a lot of applications are not restricted uh like if like if on a, on a user's pc but even on a server if you're not if you're not running say the the your web app inside some sort of uh restricted container like maybe you use docker or something then, then your your application might have access to various system things, uh, which it which could be compromised. So it's like, yeah, once you're in, there's a possibility of a lot of lot of lot of things going very wrong. Uh, so, like this this is one of those things. It's like we we noticed this. Like somebody somebody actually like what what happened? What would happen if nobody noticed this? Like how like how do you? Yeah, so it's like, yeah. I mean, I I don't even want to say from a social standpoint that the develop like some people were like a developer should have uh uh developers should have vetted the person and they were they were tired of maintaining it. They didn't have time. They didn't want to maintain it, so they just gave it away. Like, does, does I think there needs to be a formal process for abandoning projects too on the NPN side? Like, there should be some sort of like form you fill out saying, "Hey, I created this, I've maintained it, and for whatever reason, for whatever circumstances, I no longer want to maintain it." So, um, it, this is this project should be marked as unmaintained, or it could go, you know, like say you're an aspiring developer and you want to maintain one. Like, there needs to be more accountability in this <laughs> process. Yeah, I feel like the NPN Foundation could possibly handle a lot of this sort of uh, sort of this middle middleman a middleman uh, approach of uh having some sort of group, group of developers or uh some sort of committee uh do vetting uh but i don't like it's not, it's, a, it's it is a technical problem as much as it is a social problem uh, i think the social problem is like how developers write like code in the in the modern web development uh, ecosystem right uh and how web developers are essentially pulling in dependencies fresh every time which is absurd to me by the way because like on the linux server you you don't pull in dependencies all the time right you you have you install dependencies from your package manager and you leave them there uh until you have to do a security update and that's that uh but say you are a developer and i think that um package maintainers right in in on the linux side probably I, I don't want to like downplay like, or down or talk bad about npm, but I think that the Ubuntu you know uh, package maintainers or like the Pacman ones for Arch or the uh, or the or, like the ones for GNOME, or, like all of them, they probably have a little bit more care towards vetting. Like, is this package secure? Is this like going to fuck over our users? Because if one bad package gets into the to the repo, right, everyone who now runs a system like an update on their software is fucked. Yeah. So yeah. So that's like like the people who have been doing. Uh, I mean, this this has been like this 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 thing has been warned about. This is not the first time this happened, by the way, with Node. Uh, this happened previously with another package. Uh, I think it was LeftPad uh, was the package that got compromised at some point, and a similar thing happened. Uh, but like uh, package maintainers uh, over at over at Linux land have been sort of warning against this, you know, proliferation of language-specific package managers uh, for a long time. Uh, the alarm bells have been sounding, I guess, uh, for a long time, but, you know, uh, the, the sort of level of move fast and uh, break things, etc. cetera. Uh, like, there, there are advantages to having language-specific package managers. It allows you to, you know, have a more contained uh, sort of dependency management system, but it also... 
like you're also relearning all the lessons that like package managers uh, that have been around for a long time have already learned, right? Uh, so, oh, yeah. Although uh, um, sounding or talking about sounding the alarms, yeah. our next story. <laughs> oh my god! Oh god, we're about to get into it. Uh, uh, yep. So, uh, content warning here. Um, <laughs> the next hour, I you people be like, "Oh, why do you complain about Electron and stuff and blah blah blah?" Like this this Electron discourse is tired. Cool. So that's what we're about to do for the next uh, hour yeah, or so. Yeah, so, so. So just I fair mean, warning. Like this is going to be the rest of the episode. Yeah. So we're yeah, the next episode is is uh, titled uh, "The Web." So you know it's very ominous. Uh, so. <laughs> So we have we have news. Uh, we're gonna start out with the news, and then we can sort of move on into the discussion. Uh, so, Microsoft Edge uh, and its engine uh, Edge HTML uh, is, is is no longer going to be maintained, and is, uh, Microsoft is moving to using Chromium right as the base for their Edge browser, and that just means that. Uh, that just means Edge is gonna run on Mac OS, right? Uh, now, apparently, they're gonna make a Mac OS version, which is interesting. But uh, well, so to be to be fair, um, so let's just say it's not it's not going to be like a Chromium wrapper. What Microsoft is doing specifically is Blink and V8 are what they're porting to Edge. So that. The semantics there are a little weird, but the important distinction, right, is that this is not a fork of Chrome. This is Microsoft replacing the rendering tech with Chrome with Chromium's in Edge, which matters, I would say, when we start talking about performance of this, right? Because a port of Chrome, you get Chrome's problems. Pulling in only Chrome's rendering tech, you might get different problems, right? But they're not going to be the same. No, yeah. So that that is a, that is that is an important distinction. Uh, but from a from a sort of high level perspective. Uh, Essentially, what is happening here is we are losing another browser engine, right? Uh, we are losing HTML, and we are essentially in a sort of a sort of a monoculture, right? Sort of like the WebKit Blink, uh, and then we have the Firefox Gecko uh, engines, right? So we have two engines that have any sort of significant market share, and by at this point. Uh, Chrome's dominance is, is 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 increasing, and it's like it, it's that is the, what people are concerned about, right? Like there is no like Microsoft going over is is, is a big deal because we just have lost like the one of the few people who could have maintained a a, a whole other engine, right? Because maintaining a browser engine is is not uh, simple. Uh, and of course, a couple years ago, right, we lost Presto as well. Um, so I guess a primer. We like we should probably let's roll back a couple years. So let's talk about 2010. Do you remember oh 2010? God. Oh God, I wish I didn't. But let's let's go. No, uh, what do you mean? 2010 was a good time for web browsers. Okay, I don't remember well, anything else about was 2010. Was it was it around the time when like Firefox, Firefox was, four was 2010? Ooh, so it's like 3.5 era. So like, no, this is post 3.5. 2010 was Firefox four, I believe. That's when like Firefox four betas. So let's talk about diversity in web browsers. Diversity in web browsers in 2010, we had Chakra. With IE nine or ten, whichever one was coming out at that time, you had Gecko with Firefox, you had Presto with Opera, rest in peace. Then you had Safari and Chrome were both using WebKit at the time, but there were slightly different fa- flavors of it. Um, Google was doing a whole bunch of custom stuff in their own version of WebKit that Apple like didn't really add ever add to Safari. So we had that, and uh, the diversity then was great. Because each web browser, like, so ideally you want every web page to render the same, right? But when you have a diverse system of web browsers, right? When you have a diverse ecosystem of web browsers, there's more competition and more incentive to make it faster. Because I know, I know a lot of these people who are now claiming, like, a lot of these n- new people who are making, um, I, I don't want to say kids because it's not, I'm not, I don't want to be like old and grumpy, but a lot of these people who are making like Electron apps and stuff, I don't think they remember IE6. And I don't think they remember ever using Java apps. Like that's my thing, right? I kids, uh, let me let me talk. I don't want to be condescending, but uh, I do remember IE six, and I do remember the time before Firefox. Uh, like I vaguely remember this. To be fair, to 
everybody else. I was also fairly young at that stage. Uh, but I do remember using IE6 and I do remember what a breath of fresh air uh, using Firefox was like, uh, this was early days, like, uh, Firefox 3.5 days, you know, uh, like Firefox was like performance wise, before Firefox was really bad. Like, uh, like you would leak memory, you would be slow. Uh, but you know, it was, it was much better. Uh, you had, you had tabs, right? Uh, you had tab browsing, which was amazing. Uh, you had, uh, uh, you had ad block, you had plugins, right? Uh, so you had all these cool things that you could get. Uh, all stolen get. from Opera, we should just say. Yeah, um, I mean, there used Opera, to be a running it, joke, um, which unfortunately is no longer running because Opera stopped. But uh, the joke is that if Opera does it, every browser will have it in the next three years. And tab browsing, tab stacks, uh, ad plugins. There's so much stuff that Opera had. Yep, and Opera so, did a lot of stuff. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, IE six was not a good time, and more importantly. I, I don't want to ring the bell that Chrome is a new IE6, but I, I think it's important to draw some parallels. What did Microsoft start doing? Microsoft made IE6, then stopped making like important updates to the browser. What did they do instead? They made ActiveX. What is Google doing right now? Chrome's new feature set, for the most part, has been a... Uh, we want to call them progressive web apps, but lest, lest we not forget, progressive web apps started as Chrome apps meant meant to be like native-ish apps ran on Chrome OS. That work then, you know, became more open and moved towards what progressive web apps are today. But that's all Google led, right? Like progressive web apps and service workers for mostly like all of that stuff's been like Google engineers have been leading the way on that. WebRTC works best in Chrome because it was like Google was one that was heavily investing in it. WebM, WebP Open, sure, but still led by Google, right? It's not, these are not open foundations. The web is Google's operating system, right? Like that's what it is at this point. And what Google's doing, Google isn't really in like innovating on it. If you look at Chrome OS, what is, what are they doing with Chrome OS? They're adding a shitty tablet mode and integrating Android apps. I don't think they've innovated on the browser side in Chrome, except adding like, you know, fucking up SSL and adding that silly not secure thing. Like when was the last time and, and redesigning it a hundred times over, and now it looks like Firefox. So, exactly, uh, and it's this is what Microsoft did. Sure, Google's is a lot more pretty and probably um not as insecure, not as insecure, but they're building around the browser rather than innovating on the browser. And yeah, they. I mean, it, like, it's it's not like a like the comparison is not like you know exact. The details won't match because it was like you know different times, different technologies. But the sort of the, this moral of this, like, it's it's like the moral of the story is that a browser monoculture is is bad, uh, bad for the web, uh, and is 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 bad because it creates uh, it it. it it, what happens is that the, the, the monoculture defines the standards, right? They make the standards. Uh, and if you are not the monoculture, if you're not the dominant browser, uh, then you play catch up at this, like, like Firefox does, right? In a lot of ways, uh, there are like whole things where like there's a whole like sort of website that sort of like goes into how like there are certain websites that don't work in Firefox properly but they work fine in Chrome um and like the developer like the like there are the, like the edge team the edge had people reaching out to websites uh asking them hey, uh this this particular feature does not work in edge but it works in uh in chrome uh that, that is probably a bug in uh in the, the way you wrote it or whatever uh, uh and and the developers would respond that they don't care because chrome is the market leader and edge's market share was negligible at best uh so which is like, really strange mind you because if we talk about phones right like you don't hear that answer about android I've never once heard that answer about Android. Like I don't under like you. Everyone makes their best app for iOS, even though iOS is not the majority of phones. So like that that web developers, mm, we're not friends right now <laughs> <laughs> because it's like when when you make your app only work in Chrome. Let's talk about Wire. Actually, Wire is a great example. The Wire web app will not run in Safari because Safari's WebRTC support isn't as great as Chrome, but Wire could just disable those features and tell you, hey, 
this isn't supported in Safari, but will at least access, let you access your text chats, which is what I want because I don't want to run an Electron app on my computer, right? But they push you to install it instead, instead of having graceful feature degradation, which is very silly and goes against what the web's about, right? It's, it's making things Chrome only is an accessibility issue because you're forcing, you're forcing everyone to use Chrome, right? It's a cycle. Google makes a specific feature. Web developers use it. Users have to use Chrome because the websites they use are using those features that Google said people should use. This is the same problem with AMP, right? Like, if you make a website with AMP, you're now locked into Google's ecosystem because Google's going to rank you um, higher using AMP because they own the search engine that people use to find your website. It's a cycle. It's lock-in. It's a monopoly. And that's the main issue at hand. Plus, uh, Google tracks all of your stuff. So I don't know. Like, There's always that, right? Like, There's always like the, the data mining part of it. But this is... You you want a better web called... You want, you want more diverse browsers because, you know... Okay. Linux users, let's talk for a minute. So... There is once upon a time, um, I know it seems weird now, but there's once upon a time where we had native apps for most things on Linux. When, when me and Static were in IRC when we were kids, Skype had a native Linux app. Yeah, it was not great, by the way. But It was not great. But here's, here's, the, in, here's the fun part, though. Most web apps back then used open standards. So there were a lot of great third-party clients. So even if the official one wasn't on Linux, you had like say for example let's talk about pigeon pigeon was you could log into almost any chat service with it and use it fine you could use irc with it you could use you know facebook messenger you could use google talk and that doesn't exist anymore you're now locked into using these electron apps which for the most part from what i've heard electron on linux is not a great time like it works which is which is like all right but i genuinely feel like most third-party software that is not maintained but like that is maintained by large corporations for linux has probably degraded in quality and performance over the years because since you can just add linux as a build target to your electron app you don't have to test it as much as say writing a native linux app which sure linux doesn't have the market share for it but it's still you should demand better software because um the stock apps that ship with kde and ship with uh gnome right adhere to your system preferences, adhere to your styling, and also work way better for accessibility than any of the Electron apps you're going to be using, or any of the web-based apps, or any of the um, you know cross-platform that aren't like, say, QT, like those kinds of apps. Because there's once upon a time where um, instead of Electron, most software was built using Java. Java GUIs, that was a thing for a while. And we, we all collectively agreed that Java is really shitty for front end apps, and I get it. I get it. Right? There's like a bunch of a bunch of web nerds who grew up making Flash apps who who like really love working that environment. But that environment is like the environment of just like web technology does not belong on the desktop. It truly does not because desktop operating systems right are geared more towards say working with native apps, calling native APIs. Because then what Apple, Microsoft, and you know, Linux distro maintainers do, they can customize it to work better, right? Like say you have a UWP app. A UWP app, Microsoft can put that app to sleep if you're not using it. But it can save the state of it, right? So when you open it, it's fine. But you're, 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 you have more efficient system you know, resource users. And I believe Apple does something similar in macOS. When it comes to launching specific Chrome instances, it might not work that great. Because what if they try to put Discord to sleep? I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a hot mess. It's like it probably it just stays alive all the time. Yeah, it probably it's a weird web app. You probably cannot do it. And also using it. screen readers and the stuff of these electron apps is not a great time. So, but and and it comes back. And you might be wondering how did I just go from yelling about Microsoft to yelling about Electron because Microsoft owns Electron, mind you. The reason they're doing this is because they they're seeing that everyone's using Electron apps, or then they have native PWA support, uh, progressive web app support in Windows now. But the problem is progressive web apps only really work in Chrome. They don't, they don't work in Safari. Some of that's Apple's fault. Fair. Firefox, uh, kind of. But Chrome is where progressive apps work the best. So what Microsoft wants to do, if they see everyone's using writing web apps anyways, what they're thinking, right, is, well, shit, let's just integrate Chrome into Windows. So at the very least, these web apps that everyone's using aren't going to suck. Because I imagine that if they integrate, you know, if they replace WinJS with some Chromium-based version of, of WinJS, 
they can say to Discord, they can say to these companies that make Electron apps, hey, for your Windows version, just use our APIs. It runs the same. It's the same as Electron wrapper, but you'll get better performance. Which upsets me on multiple levels because they really should be writing native software. They really should. Like, you can still, you can, you can do as much work as you want to make a JavaScript app play nice of your system, but at the end of the day, it's a fucking JavaScript app. Which means that once PPUs, like one weird optimization gone wrong and your UI thread's hanging because of how JavaScript works, right? Like, JavaScript is so easy to make like one small mistake and make the whole app lock up and everything get really janky. And with like proper native apps, there's, you, you don't have to, you don't have to deal with that. And then with web apps as well, like, you can I don't know, maybe 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 I'm maybe I'm just like weird for thinking that all apps on a system should adhere to the system's like UI affordances, right? And not create their own buttons. Or if you're like say on Linux, that it should adhere to your GTK theme or your KDE theme, right? And it should be styled as per your theme rather than using whatever custom styling and looking like, you know, a sore thumb on your system. But I don't I I, I guess part of me part of me just feels like I should accept this future of electron apps and bad performance but i don't know i don't know like i i i, I promise you i will <laughs> i this makes me so cranky that like if mac os one day became a uh in an electron only land i would go to desktop linux what like, if i what would if, i would rather oh my god what if apple made uh, apple made a, a new version of itunes that was an electron app i would um go uh, find CDs off the back of a truck. That's what I would do. I shit you not, and I would download Fubar or something or some native, um, you know, music player. Because I, I mean, iTunes is shitty, but a web based web app based version of iTunes, and yes, some of the views in iTunes are web apps, right, or web views right now for the sale of that Apple Music stuff. But that makes sense. But it's just like I'm not against using web technologies in your app, right? It makes sense for some things. If you have dynamic content that's loading, like that's fine. Use a use a web renderer. But for for your buttons, for your controls, for most UI making that web technologies is not great. It's and I know there's other there's a, there's so there's a daring fireball article we have in the uh, in the in the show notes which is about you know Electron the decline of native apps and John Gruber talks really about it has a really good example of Word 6.0 which was a cross platform monstrosity which even at, which was so such such a bad app that it made Microsoft rethink their Mac strategy and. I I think that's a pertinent example because I don't think I think for like chat apps, sure Electron might work great. But just thinking about what could go wrong with using, you know, like Electron to build like serious productivity software, and that's like, ew. What if Adobe tried writing like Photoshop in Electron? Think about how much RAM that would use. Think about how much system resources that would use. Because almost everything's running in its own fucking process. Uh, no. And sure, okay, having multiple processes like makes sense, but like how Chromium tends to do it, there's so much overhead that you're getting when you don't really reap the benefits of it, right? I it's this this is not architected to make these kinds of applications. This is not what this is meant for. This is like some weird hack. And Microsoft can like try and make this hack as native as possible, but at the end of the day, it's not a native app and it's never going to act like one. It's never gonna be as smooth as one, and it's never gonna be performant as one. Because let's talk about Let's talk about Telegram for macOS. Telegram for macOS right now, I can let me open my activity monitor. That is a native app. That is native code. And I can tell you how much RAM it's using right now, just sitting idle. It is using 160 megs. Discord, however, uh, Discord process one, 300 megs. Discord process two, 200 megs. Discord process three, 80 megs. Discord process, is there a four? There might be a four. But even then, that's almost that's like like half a gigogram, basically, just for a chat app, which is ridiculous. There is no reason for any for a chat app using that much memory. Telegram. Telegram. Uh, Telegram's desktop apps uh, are written in uh, C plus uh, plus and Qt and use uh, Qt as uh, not not the not the, the Mac, Mac version. One. The Mac one is a native app kit app. I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, I believe the, so. I, I might think, be. I, I think might the Windows. On that. I think the Windows version. Uh, uses uh, i'm looking at the dependency list on, on the github repo for for the desktop app and they have uh qt right as as the ui and this is the windows uh no this is mac os as well uh apparently is also qt oh okay never mind 
It seems it looks native enough, so that's that's fine for me. I, I like QT's QT's absolutely fine. Yeah. Uh, so that I mean, there's a reason that it's fast. Like it is, it's it's a compiled. Like it's it is like light and it's fast. Uh, it's not loading an entire instance of a browser, uh, etc. Uh, like I don't I don't know how much we have gone past. Like how much we have. Uh, like how much we have moved past using like native apps, like at a certain point, you feel like the development cost versus benefit is not enough for developers to justify. Uh, like how do you, how do we tell developers who barely have time to develop the web app that they need to write also, they need to have their, they need to tell their company that they need to write uh, a native app for Windows and Mac OS. Like that is, that is, a significant like labor undertaking and also from from a lot of from a capitalist perspective uh expensive right uh like it is expensive to write native applications well, um so my one my one argument against that is that on the mac os side you can use if you're running your mac app in swift and your ios app in swift the only thing you need to make different assuming you're using apple standard libraries and you're not going too wild with your frameworks you can use the same back code, right? Like you need to change the code for the front end, but yeah, I can. You can have most of your Swift code running, like you know, the logic of the app be the same between them, and it'll function the same. And it's just you have to write. You make one UI an app kit and one UI kit. And with Marzipan, you can just make you know an app a UI kit app and then have it scale to the Mac. So I don't. I don't think. I think that it's like. So is so is is Marzipan or uh, whatever Apple is going to call it when it actually is like uh, released is is some sort of hedge against Electron like some sort of uh like it is it is trying to like put in a put in a little bit of a like a thing where you can say that hey it, it, if you if you don't want to like if you don't want to build a a web app that's like the electron web app that has shitty performance on map mac how about you if you you already have an ios app how why not turn that into a mac app and it will run better than you which i think is fine it will run better than your electron app right yeah but for like maybe for like productivity software no but at the same time if you're so let's okay so i i i i want to fight against the cost perspective that you're saying for for a couple reasons so Let's talk about big productivity software, right? How is that paid for? Adobe's all subscription. Microsoft's yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. Right? I'm, I'm not talking about big, big productivity software. To to be clear, like I usually when I say cost, I don't mean uh, for big, uh, big software like Adobe because Adobe obviously, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere. They have a lot of resources. They they make a lot of money uh, mm-hmm. of the subscription fees, etc. But like I'm talking to smaller developers, uh, or even like let's talk about Wire. Like why why would Wire build a native app like what does that give like what does that actually give them so here's my argument to that wired should not have wire could build it could have their website and no native apps and i feel like that would be fine but they and what wire is not doing which is what, what enabled all these great native apps is open standards right like wire could have say, you know, uh, an API system to make calls or something like that, right? To get messages and be like, hey, you know, give the disclaimer that maybe if you're using a third-party app, it might be less secure. But why why, why can't we do that? Like, why why can't Wire just, like, open up whatever the communication stuff they use and someone can build a native app that plugs into it? And you can have some sort of, like, user-stored password, right, that's hashed and only if it's verified on Wire servers, then the mess- then your, like, access is given to the account. Or they can have a huge disclaimer saying, hey, maybe this might be not as secure. But the only one good thing about using XMPP was that it was open and anyone can make an XMPP client and they could, you know, you can get all your chat messages. And we have moved so far away from that. Everything's a closed standard for no reason. Like, people say the web's super open nowadays, right? Like, everyone's like, oh, well, the web's so great. You can do whatever you want. It's like, no, it's not. Making web pages is kind of open. But, like, back-end web services have become nothing but even more closed in, in like, the past decade. Right. Uh, like, I mean... The, 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 the actual development, the backend services, yes. Uh, yeah, so like Wire, like it always comes back to chat apps because I think chat apps are, to not relive chat apps discourse because uh, that, that episode of Transposable was horrible. Uh, <laughs> but 
like I think it always comes back to chat apps is because like you know we use them so much just that we feel the performance issues more acutely right uh, mm-hmm. so I think it is also at the same time there's the argument to be made that the electron uh, is accessible for one specific group of people that is developers uh, it allows developers who uh, understand web technologies to be able to write an application that runs on multiple platforms uh which is not as which is not insignificant i think which is i think it allows for say example uh, a game developer that is writing a visual novel using uh web technologies so like you know html css javascript right to just put it into uh, an electron wrapper and have it run on both uh, run on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. Uh, so, like, that is not an insignificant. Uh, I think so. I think that's fine, right? But that's a different. That is making a visual novel in Electron is a much different use case than writing, you know, bigger software in it. Right. That's and, true. Yes. And I don't. It, it's <laughs> sure it benefits the developer, but at the expense of who? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm making the argument for the developer here, but. Uh, uh, like from from a user's perspective, the cost is too great. I think from a user's perspective, you have uh, a the system resource issue, uh, which could be optimized, but not most uh, electronic developers don't optimize uh, enough. Uh, be that you have just just the like you have like the sort of just the huge bulking security issue of like you have you build with a specific version of chrome with all its bugs and vulnerabilities so every time you have to fix you have to fix a vulnerability you just have to update the entire chromium thing uh which is not great uh thirdly you have like just uh non-native ui frameworks right like you have stuff that doesn't look native on their respective Operating system. So you have stuff on Windows that looks nothing. I mean, I don't even know what Windows is fine actually because we, nobody knows what a native Windows app looks like anymore because, you know, uh, UWP, UWP apps, no, what Windows okay. is supposed to look like. I mean, <laughs> nobody cares, uh, is more, uh, more that's, apt. That's I guess. probably the problem. Yeah. Though. I mean, yes. Uh. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, yeah. Uh, nobody cares. This is the gist of this discussion, I think. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like, it's just, is, is it just that we have moved so far from using, uh, like, like dealing with local data and local, uh, local sort of like applications that run, uh, and deal with data that is on a local level versus we have moved to a world where every application is, is, is making an HTTP. Call to uh, API uh, somewhere out there. Uh, so we have we have moved in, into a different era, right? We have moved into I think uh, like like I think a recent episode of like uh, what is Federico Vitici's podcast? Uh, con- not connected, but he, ta- he there was another one where he talked about he uh, he, he did he talk he does he talks about uh, iPad productivity stuff. Uh, and he talked about how it is basically everything is on the cloud now, right? Like you can have realistically a, a thing, uh, a, a computing sort of me- uh, methodology where you don't touch and like basically don't care about the local file system or anything locally, right? The local system is only essentially a processing platform right you and essentially like display uh so you basically move to sort of like a mainframe like old school mainframe model uh and is is that why we're going like is that why we why we bemoan the lack of native apps uh, and why is there's so many electron apps uh like like what is what is like it's it's i think it's larger than the web it's larger than just uh like just just electron right like it's, it's larger than just uh like it's it's, it's, it's it's like a cultural and societal uh like thing or a capitalist maybe uh thing that we're moving towards more closed sort of things that we don't control right uh so okay so i think <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot that i'm gonna fight you on um i just want to say before this that i love you but I'm i'm gonna fight you on most of this so let's start with the expense 
It is my utter belief that all programming should be at the benefit of the user at the expense of the developer. You, the reason you work in like low level tech, if you, if like, if you're making operating systems and you like really optimize code is because it enables you to have smooth scrolling in apps. It enables you to have performance systems. And most programmers these days, I don't think appreciate the amount of work that goes into performance systems and making and making software that is readily responsive and always and always works. And I think I think there's a lot of philosophical stuff going into this and you listening might maybe be like, well, how does this affect me? So do you know why everyone on Mastodon says computers are shit? Because they're using a bunch of unoptimized apps. And when you have a whole system run- of trash software running, written shittily, you get the fun problem called, I'm moving my mouse, nothing's responsive. What the fuck is going on with this computer? And you know, you know what solves that problem? Buying like 32 gigs of RAM. But operating systems have not changed their base minimum. Or co- I mean, it, it kind doesn't of does solve really. the problem. It just, it just, it just sort of makes the problem longer. Like it takes longer for the problem to happen. But like, even on, on a fast system, uh, the, the web apps crawl. Like it's, it's not like, just like br- if you're, if on your PC, if you ever have an app come to a, like a pause on this computer you just built, there's something wrong with that app. There is no reason because operating systems have not changed their minimum like requirements that much since 2000, like since Windows 7. I don't think Windows Vista, Windows 7, I don't think operating systems have raised their base. Desktop OSs have raised their base, you know, minimum requirements to install them. And that's in theory, software should be flying nowadays, but you have all of this poorly written software. That's not native. And this is the thing. Not native software is always going to perform worse than native software. That is true. That was true when we used Java apps. That was true when we thought we could be cute and use ActiveX applets. This is true with Electron apps now. It's always going to be less performant. And mind you, there is a period where web apps are performant enough. And it's still performant enough given that you're running only that web app and not a system full of web apps in their own Chromium instances on your computer. And And the end result is just frustration for the user. And like, I honestly don't give a fuck if a developer, if it's easier for you just to write JavaScript and not learn like Swift or C sharp. And I don't give a fuck if a company might save, you know, like 40,000 a year by not hiring a developer, 50,000 a year by not hiring a developer to do native work. Like you got VC funding, tough shit. And once again, for those of you who are hobbyist programmers listening and who want to use Electron for small projects, sure, this is not related to you because my problems are big companies like Discord, companies like Wire companies that use just electron for no reason y'all can afford native developers y'all can afford that and i just i I get the 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 pack that you have to like build a windows mac os ios and android app and i mean if you really want to be you know feisty even a native linux app but you know what negates the problem once again is just opening up like the control should always be in the user's hands right i just uh just uh just mm, I don't like it, and I get it. I get it. This is maybe tired for people for for like everyone who's like follows me at Mastodon. I'm sorry, kind of, but it's your computer. You bought it. You should be able to like control the software that's on it. And oh my god, my HomePod is activated. I need to turn this thing off. How oh, did you? How did I don't you know. even trigger that? I don't know. How? There we go. Good, good. I I hit it. I hit it without playing anything. But it's your computer. You bought it, and you should be able to do whatever you want with it. And I don't know, with like closed services and really gross web apps that run these electron wrappers, it's it's taking control away from you and I don't like it and I I don't know, like I I I guess at the end of the day, this is one of those things that I can just tell you on a philosophical level that having diversity in browsers and having diversity in operating systems and the fact that Mac OS and Windows and Android and iOS maybe should not be the same thing um, might might make some may, might not make sense to some folks. Like I guess, but it is. Uh, I think from a certain perspective, it it feels like it's it's not completely a technical argument versus a, a, a philosophical argument and a social argument even uh, like. Like, like I, like I'm arguing for the developer, but also at the same time, like I want to say that I, like I don't, like I, like the, I do not care for the rise of the electron app. Like it is not, it is not where I want computing to go. Right, it is not where I 
like I don't want to. I don't want to like have a future where like literally everything is a fucking web app. Uh, I I don't even know what that, what that would look like. That's Chrome. That's Chrome OS, right? That, that's what that looks right. That, it, it looks like Chrome OS, right? You have uh, you have a browser, right? And you have now you have Android apps that don't look native. So yep. I, and I guess. also with one one last point. One last point I want to bring up is web development's methodology of moving fast does not work on the desktop. So you know how the uh, Verge like posted a review of the Pixel Slate, right? And like you could see the tablet mode super choppy. Google's answer to that was, well, we've shipped a new version in six weeks, so we'll fix it soon. That is not how desktop software works. Desktop software, like native software, should not ship until it's performant and bug free as possible right like bugs are always going to go through but it should be tested and and like you know have a qa process that's not how web apps work web apps are we ship it oh shit there's a bug well i'll fix it on monday when i come back to the office yeah and um <laughs> and having that kind of software run natively or not natively but have run locally rather is just not great for the user it just creates more frustration because things are going to be more broken chrome os right now is broken if you use their tablet mode it's like you get jank everywhere. It, it stutters. It does not work as intended. And and like even the even using the pen, like it it like la- it lags when you use the pen, which is like amazing to me. Like there should and, not mm, like software like desktop software, native software already has begun to slip in terms of quality in recent years. You know, hence Microsoft's new thing to you know they're going to test Windows ten more, so it doesn't delete your data. And Apple having a renewed focus on bugs and all of that with iOS twelve. But it's just so much worse when it comes to web software. And you, by, I think, I think my ultimate, my end argument is by accepting a world where we use nothing but electron apps and web software, you're lowering the bar of quality for what software should be. And for you, the end user, that's going to result in more shitty applications and the computer doing things that make you angry. This is going to, this is going to be more folks just getting upset at their computers not working the way they intended for reasons that aren't their fault just because some company can save money on developers or just because someone doesn't want to learn Swift and wants to use JavaScript, right? You can, op- at the end of the day, optimize JavaScript as much as you want. It's still JavaScript and it's gross. And if, I don't know, high desktop Linux, I heard, I heard uh, all the cool kids are using, um, what are the cool kids using these days? Uh, not Fedora. Um, uh, Arch Linux? No, no. Is, Arch are the Linux kids still a, using Arch Linux? Oh, no, God, we Arch sound Linux. like old people. Jesus OpenSUSE. Christ. You know, I'm going back to OpenSUSE. <laughs> I'm going to just put it on this MacBook. I'll find a way to make it work if uh, if Electron apps keep taking over. And I don't know. I guess I guess I'll be that person that uses a that a, a native Matrix client that only runs on GNOME three. Oh my God! I mean. I will yeah. compile my own matrix client if need oh, be. Jesus. I will do that. I am not afraid. I am not afraid of compiling my own software. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's, let's just compile everything. It's fine. Uh, we don't have CPUs, uh, for no, for, for what? I mean, like, hey, I'd rather be compiling software than, um, having my CPU spike because Discord got a notification. <laughs> All right. I think, I think we're going to, we're going to wrap, uh, this episode up. I think people, Probably at this point are like if you if you stayed through us through this whole segment, uh, thank you, because uh, I know it, it got a lot uh, very intense. Uh, we talked about all sorts of shit and bounced around a lot, but uh, you can find us as always. You know, uh, twoshadesofbrown.com. Uh, the show notes are there, and the contact address is contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. Uh, you can find me on Mastodon at StatingSafe at Mastodon.TheMcLeod.com. And Christian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Mastodon at Chosafine at 10forward.social. Uh, Chosa.online is my website. And um, yeah. And with that, goodbye. Bye.